1: Today's episode of The Blank Podcast is sponsored by Maverick Arts Publishing. Jim, do you love dinosaurs? Oh,
2: man. Uh, When I was a kid, I loved dinosaurs. Do you have a favourite dinosaur? Yeah, the Stegosaurus. Really? Yeah, all those big plates on its back. When I was a kid, I literally used to get people to call me Steg because I thought I was a Stegosaurus. (laughs) That's how much I loved Stegosauruses. Oh, man.
1: Well, they are one of my favourites.
2: Well, you might like Dino Wars,
1: which is a new book from Maverick Art Publishing called The Trials of Terror. Ooh. This is the second book in a four book series Which follows the adventures of Adam And the rest of his motley crew With genetically modified sentient dinosaurs Ooh. And a world that needs saving This is definitely an action packed series For those who love a bit of adventure That sounds amazing Well it is, I've read it Oh really? Yeah, yeah, and it is amazing Oh man, that yeah. sounds wicked Yeah, I read it with my um, nine year old And he loved it But I loved it as well Because I love dinosaurs too The
2: stegosaurus is in it
1: Yeah, there were stegosaurus <sighs> I'm all over that We'll be
2: Hello and welcome to the Blank Podcast, the podcast where we explore those difficult moments with some well-known people. Two well-known people, of course, are me, Mr. Jim Daly, in a very arrogant <laughs> way, I'm sorry. Well, speak for <laughs> yourself, not, I don't believe I'm that well-known. We are not well-known <laughs> at all, that was said very much in jest. And of course, Charles Paley Phillips. Hey Jim, how's it going?
1: I'm good, mate, how are you? I'm very well, I'm good this week. Yeah? It's been, the sun's been out, it's been nice.
2: Yeah, it's doing alright, we're doing okay, aren't we? We are, we are. Life is good. Yes. And we're joined by an incredible guest this week, really. They are. Just an absolute... One of ir- my heroes, actually. Yeah. I yeah, think yeah. a hero for a lot of people. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it, it is. Sort
1: of, yeah. Hey, it's Michael Rosen. It is, indeed. The the, the children's author, legend, poet, yeah. um, writer, filmmaker... Children's
2: laureate. Children's laureate. I mean, yeah. the guy's done The list everything. goes on. Yeah, yeah. He's done
1: it. The only downside is that he's an Arsenal. Sort yeah. Of well, you can't
2: have everything, yeah. can you? No. Could Probably. be worse. Could have been a yes. Brighton fan. <laughs> That's true. We are Crystal Palace fans. But <laughs> <laughs> Just with that caveat. Um, well, let's get into the podcast because he—he we chat to him for a long time, and uh, yeah, loads it was, I of think great it's our longest podcast so far. I think it is is. broken yeah. the we blank could, podcast record for length. We could have been there for hours. We really—we yeah, had yeah. to obviously leave the bar at some point. Yeah,
1: but we could have. Yeah, we should probably say actually that we um, we're doing a lot of our recording at um, this little place near Oxford circus called nordic bar yeah you've been very very generous in letting us use yeah uh one of their rooms and it's been a really great place for us to and it's a really nice atmosphere down there yeah um perfect for podcasting so check it, so they do a lot of events as well they down do there, a lot so of events they do great food and and so head down there guys yeah, so yeah check it out this they're, is a little ad for them but it, they deserve it because they, they're yeah, they've very, been really very generous. good to us yeah so we
2: went down there to, to interview uh michael and i think we should just get into the podcast definitely let's let's hear it
1: So, yes, well, thank you, Michael, for coming along today. Thanks for asking me. Um, I guess we, should, we start where we normally start mm-hmm. um, with these things, is uh, going back to the school days. Yeah. and Because uh, you, um, you're you Middlesex boy, are you? Are you I
0: saying? am. I'm not sure I ever thought of it as Middlesex. I thought of the sort of little locality I came from, which was Pinner, which is in the London borough of Harrow now. Um, and that's where I was brought up. It was a place that was once a kind of medieval village that got swallowed up by the suburbs. As they, as London moved out and out and out into the home counties, uh, Pinner got swallowed up. Um, greatly aided by something that I absolutely adored, which was the Metropolitan Line. <laughs> yes. Of course, the Metropolitan Line, okay... On the handles of the doors of the old Edwardian trains that I used to travel on, brass handles, and on the brass handle, it said, in cursive writing, "Live in Metroland." <laughs> live in Metroland." And I just thought, "Wow, do we live in Metroland?" <laughs> it sounded like so modern. Mm. you know this, I was born in 1946. So can you imagine that feeling, you know that it, with this place it didn't have a name, it's not on the map. It doesn't say, you know, on the map anywhere, that it just existed. No, so there was a sort of like a kind of electrical, mystical quality about (laughs) it. And when you got to Baker Street, (laughs) all right, there were these big signs that flashed on and off and on and off. And there was a cartoon cinema that was open on the station, on Baker Street Station. Yeah. When you go upstairs in that kind of, Lobby area. Oh cup of tea coming along. Lovely. Thank you very much. Okay, when you go up there There's a closed door only some of us know that behind it used to be those of a certain age of a certain (laughs) age Thank you 1946 as I was explained to children. I was born in the Stone Age and um, Yeah behind there was an all running just permanent cartoon cinema. That's I mean electric you see Yeah, that's
2: electricity was groove when I was a kid so I know Baker Street well. I live in Amersham, which is at the exactly. end of the Met line. Amersham. So I live in Metroland as well. Oh. Oh. I know if Metroland is a is a state of mind. Mainly, it more is. Than, more I'm than a just place. a posh
1: Sussex boy. Oh, <laughs> do we <laughs> talk to him? I don't think we do. No, you're no, no. no. Really. It's south, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We don't talk yeah. to yeah. South. I'm too
2: happy to see. So wait, you need to show me which door it is one day because I mm. I use Baker Street a lot. I'd love to know which. Yeah. Door it
0: is. Well, it's as you you're on the foyer bit at the top. Where the big signs used to be, and then you're now going to head towards the trains going towards paddington okay so as you go along there there's a wall to your left and there are some doors at least there were last time i looked yeah okay the other thing is downstairs as you got off the trains coming from um the west yeah okay and you as you just walked up there there was a machine and this machine You put your money in, it had the letters and the numbers on it and a a kind of dial. And what you could do was create little metal labels because you pointed the dial to M, you pulled a lever and then M went onto it then I, then C and H and AEL and you had Michael and it had little pinholes at either end and you could pin this little grey metal label to your door or something or even more exciting, you could write bum (laughs) now this was a breakthrough note (laughs) but so exciting that you could write an incredible swear word like that (laughs) on a little metal plate and then bring it home and stick it on the wall (laughs) and you know this was just, oh god it was wonderful and you know why why did they get rid of it? Yeah. I mean, you know, oh, this was something they definitely need and just think this is all part of living in Metroland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dare man. I say, as a plug, I have written about all this in my memoir. Ah. Oh. Called So Please They Call do, You plug. Well, here it comes, the title. <laughs> yeah. So they call you Pisher. So there we are. We've written about that. Oh well, fantastic. Yeah. Seamless. Yes, yeah, exactly. it was it was, it was, wasn't <laughs> it? Hardly pro. noticed I mean. If I'd called it a plug, you would have you would have said, Come on, Mike. No, <laughs> no plugs. And then you know, it just there it was.
2: I love learning about the old stuff, mm. about
0: railways and. Oh, okay, here's one more for you. The nickname of the little diesel electric engines that were on the front of the train. What do we call those?
2: Um, oh, you're not there, are you? A nickname. A nickname.
0: Ooh. What do we call them as Den- kids? Dennis. No, Bugs. 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 Hey, go! Come on, guys! there's a bug on the front of this train and we'd belt down to the station and go wow that was a bug and it had names on the side I can't remember the names but there were things like the Duke of Devonshire and sort of names like that or inventors possibly and so we'd try and see what the name was on the bug wow did you see I don't know Fulk Greville <laughs>
2: and some such. Yeah. Anyway. And then there's one bug that's got bum written on the side of it. Yeah, because yeah, I, pinned it, I <laughs> pinned it there. Yeah, that will give you Metroland. <laughs> yeah. Take that,
1: guys. The Metroland Express is coming through. Yeah, yeah. The
0: Expresses did come through Pinner yeah. Station. It was, wait for this, the Master Cutler, Ooh. because it was going to Sheffield. Oh, it would yes, be, wouldn't it? Yes. Cutler, Cutler, yeah, yeah get yeah. you, knives and forks, yeah. all that. So the trains... Coming out of, I think, Marylebone, there was a possibly some, but pan- I think out of Marylebone on what used to be called the Great Central Line, and they used to go, uh, and they'd rattle through the station, and the whole station would, like, shake, and we'd go, that was the
2: Master Cutler, guys. <laughs> so
0: one of the thrills of living in Metroland was that every now and then it was invaded by the Master Cutler.
2: <laughs> and didn't the Met Line was supposed to go to Birmingham, was that right? It was supposed to go all the way to the Midlands? And then they stopped at Amersham, is that correct? Or have well, I made that up? well,
0: it it goes it went on to Aylesbury right okay and the thing that goes on to Birmingham is the train from Aylesbury from sorry uh, from Marylebone yes which yeah. you can still do I yeah. was on it yesterday in fact yeah. believe it or not going yeah. to Leamington it's exciting life I lead yeah, yeah. um so <laughs> um yeah so that's the sort of route of HS2 if they do that's it that's right yeah so it's sort of LS1 low speed one rather than HS2 yeah. and um <laughs> yeah and it goes to Birmingham I mean you can it's quite a good way to go to Birmingham yeah,
2: yeah.
0: so what was school like I went to a nursery school called Tyneholm Nursery School, uh, which was uh, in Wealdstone. My mum used to drop me off. She worked in Kodak Factory over the road. And uh, it was a bit sad, really, that it was the first stage, because she used to drop me off with uh, two terrorists. They were two girls aged seven, absolute terrorists, because we used to play uh, it, you know, he Some people call it Tig Tag It used to it, call it It, it Some it, yeah. people used to call it He And we used to play it And the moment I caught them They'd go fainies. Oh, ticks.
1: C- we used to call it Ticks Yeah Croggies yeah, Lots of yeah, names yeah. for it
0: Fainites All over the country The crossed, finger, crossed fingers Fanies. Yeah. And so it didn't count Yeah. Oh. And I, I said to mum I said what is this You're dropping me off you know I was trying to play a decent game and yeah. they got this trick with the fingers and they go feinies. they yeah. said why are you leaving me with these two terrorists yeah. why are you
1: doing this these two horrible human beings exactly. who are not playing. and mum
0: said it. it's nice stay with it you know <laughs> Jewish, <laughs> Jewish mother it's nice stay with it it's alright be alright it's character building yeah exactly thanks mum thanks <laughs> mum and she then went off to teacher train she went off to do what used to be called emergency training because it was the end of the war just after the war really short of teachers government had this idea let's train some People, people who maybe you know went to uh, had a bit of education earlier before the war. So off went mum. So goodbye to mum. Where are you going, mum? Little Gadsden.
2: Oh, where's that?
0: It's, it's, it's like it's like Tolkien, isn't it? Bit, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's some it's a weird long way place. From and, and a long way from me. Never mind <laughs> yeah, ne- yeah, Metro Land. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you're three. You don't care yeah. about Metro Land. It's just yourself. <laughs> you know, where are you going, mum? Little Gadsden. <laughs> I went there. Do you know what? It was like a castle. And it and I went there recently, and it still is a it's castle. It's just the castle. It is, because yeah. they had requisitioned this castle. The local authority had requisitioned it, and that's where she did. And uh, she showed me her stuff, and she had done bits of paper with berries stuck to it. I remember the berries and brambles. You know, it was like nature. Yeah. You know, she'd gone collecting <laughs> nature. In fact, she did. Whenever we went out for a walk, she'd go, we're going to collect bits. Uh, what bits? And she'd <laughs> like bits, snipping yeah. bits off the hedges. <laughs> Because uh, this is green belt, you see, pinners yeah, right yeah, on the yeah. edge of the green belt, so you could go for a walk uh, near Moss Lane and uh, collect bits. So, uh, so that was it. The nursery school was lovely. I had a teacher called Miss Hornby, who I called Hornby teacher. And uh, but uh, at the end of the first week there, um, there was a little scene. I'm afraid. Oh yeah, there was. She called Mum in and she said. Um, uh, Mrs. Rosen, do you have uh, any objection to Michael doing grace before a meal? Because for a meal, we say, uh, Thank you, God, for what we're about to receive. May the Lord make us truly thankful. And Mum said, No, 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 no. No, no, it's just uh, the Hornby teacher said, You know, because I know you're. Um, your um my mum explained many years later your um means are you Jewish yes but I didn't know that at the time but your um (laughs) you see so she said because I know your mum said no 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 it's fine no no we're quite happy for Michael to do grace uh what's the problem it's just said Miss Miss uh, Miss Hornby said is that we see we put our hands I said put your hands together and close your eyes and we're going to say the grace but Michael and we all stand up as well but Michael stays sitting down and shouts at the top of his voice no, thank you, God. I just wondered if there was a problem here. <laughs> and mum said, oh, right, I didn't realise he was doing that at all. <laughs> and uh, somehow or other, and I've got no memory of this, my mum convinced me to stand up, put my hands together, close my eyes and say, thank you, God, for what we're about to receive. May the Lord make us truly thankful. So I don't know how my mum managed to convince me to do something that she didn't believe in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she must have been pretty good, mustn't yeah, she? Yeah, do yeah. you know what I mean? Because she must have sat there going, this is what we do, you know. Whether as a three-year-old, I said, yeah, but, you know, is there some ideological problem there, Mum? And I might have <laughs> yeah, said as yeah, a yeah, three-year-old, yeah, yeah. you know, because there seems to be some sort of, like, yeah. you know, dissonance between what <laughs> yeah, you believe yeah, and yeah. what they're saying in the institution of the school. You know, are you suggesting that we break the hegemonic structure of <laughs> school? But finally, as you do as a three-year-old. As you do as a three-year-old, you know, that would have just flown off my lips. But um, I don't know, somehow or other she managed to do it. The other big thing, nursery school, sleep. Do you ah, know, yes. there was this whole tyrannical thing in the, the afternoon, afternoon yeah, they'd say, yeah. lie down and go to sleep. Now, what do we lie down on? Army beds. Oh, I mean, how lethal really? was that, were they? Right? Canvas, itchy. And then there was this blanket that was even more itchy. Yeah. So it was a whole kind of itchy environment that you were then placed in. <laughs> and they were on the
1: floor? They weren't raised? For no, they're
0: raised, they're raised. Army yeah, beds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. So you open them up. And then they'd say, sleep. Right? Well, I figured out how not to. What you do is you concentrate on the itchiness. Yeah? <laughs> so, what I would do, I'd say itchy blanket, itchy bed, itchy bed, itchy blanket, itchy bed. See, like that. Right, And it didn't send me into a trance. I just concentrated on the itchiness and how evil it was that they were making me go to sleep. And I was able to stay awake the whole time, every time. So all the other kids, you could hear them snoring and the rest yeah. of it. But I stayed awake, absolutely rigorous on that.
2: Rebe- rebellious.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> rebellious, so you, rigorous.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, you
1: were re- so you had a bit of a rebellious streak from an early age.
2: Well, I
0: have to say, my parents were <laughs> what um, Hitler called Jewish communists. And, um, I mean, there were parents as well. I mean, I don't know how yeah. they managed that, but um, they did. It was extraordinary. They <laughs> both things. They managed to do both <laughs> things at the same time. You know, sometimes <laughs> with one hand tied behind their back. Um, yeah, so maybe some of it rushed off without me noticing mm, until yeah. much later when uh, the boy from the butchers said that we ought to drop the H-bomb on Russia. Um, and I went home and said... Uh, the boy, the son of the butchers over there, he says we should drop an H-bomb on Russia. And uh, my dad said, ah, yeah, that's the Cold War. So, you know, I had yeah, lots of yeah. things explained to me, but that was much later, you know. I was, yeah. like, nine, you know, But, many but your years later. parents quite candid about
1: that kind of stuff, right?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, really? yeah. No, my parents, you know, well, they used to hold Communist Party branch meetings oh, okay. in the house. I mean, I have to say, Pinner at this time, how can I put it, it wasn't the most ideal place to be organising world revolution from. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it was a sort of suburban paradise. I mean, yeah. it was after all
2: Metroland, Metro-land. <laughs> exactly. And um, you know, That's so the start of the revolution is well, Metroland. <laughs> you know, so you know
0: they would say, "Okay, lads." Yeah. My dad always used to call us lads. I yeah. don't know why. Anyway, he used to say, "Okay, lads, uh, we're going to have the branch meeting now." Uh, so off you go to bed and so me and my brother we'd go halfway up the stairs and then lean over the banister to see who was coming would it be Max in his lederhosen see even communists sometimes wear lederhosen you never know but Max did or would it be tall Len who worked um, on the Comet I think the Comet aeroplanes for BOAC Um, but sometimes nobody came Mm. But my parents still had a branch meeting. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, branch meetings are Were everything. Were you invited down when it Oh, was goodness, somewhere? no. <laughs> no, 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 no. So we would see mum and dad go into the front room, close the door behind them, and then presumably have a branch meeting yeah, yeah. and obviously in my adult life I kind of know what a branch means. but I often wondered how it went <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean can you <laughs> yeah. imagine there's my dad there's my mum and my dad would turn to my mum he used to call her Con her name was Connie yeah. he'd say Con okay who's going to be chairing this and mum would say well, you, who's you, writing notes <laughs> Are you? yeah exactly are you Rosie are you chairing who's taking minutes <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rosie she'd call him Rose and yeah. Rosie say are you doing it Rosie no I think I've got, I've got the agenda here Con and then they might have had the agenda I, can you imagine them yeah, mum yeah. and dad doing this but I bet they did you know well number one world revolution number two <laughs> yeah. the demo number three the bazaar moving swiftly to number three obviously you can not manage the other two <laughs> on it went so yes that's right so that's what they were and they could speak other languages um their, their home language for them was yiddish mm-hmm. which is language of eastern european jews so mm-hmm. there were i didn't even know the difference between yiddish words and english words when you're growing up so like you know we didn't, it never said the English word for the drying up cloth or the tea towel, yeah, that was the Yeah, right, that oh, was the schmatter, great word. I just thought it was, an, exactly, I thought yeah. it was an English yeah. word, so I'd go to school and I'd be saying something like, hey, you know when you, like, you know, you, you're mucking around with your brother <laughs> and you're flicking him with the schmutter and they'd go, you what, because <laughs> <laughs> there were no Jewish kids at school, you see, so, with the schmatter, they'd say, what's a schmatter? I said, the thing you dry up with, no, 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 it's a tea towel. So I go home, I go, mum, yeah. mum, the guys at school, they say, they say it's, it's a tea towel. And mum said, no, it's a schmutter. <laughs> Thanks, mum, it's really helpful. You know, I'm, j- I'm trying to just like, you know work my way into yeah, this. You know. moments, yeah. 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 Anyway, so yeah, yeah, very, very interesting.
2: But very schmutter interesting. is a better word than tea towel. Of course it is. Schmutter 100%. is vital
0: and can be used ironically. You can have an absolutely right perfect okay. suit. Nice schmutter. Ah, so okay. it literally means rag. Yeah. So you yeah, use yeah, it yeah. ironically. A oh, nice okay. piece of schmutter, yeah. or nice schmutter, you say. So something absolutely stunning, you know, 500 quid soup, <laughs> nice schmutter. <laughs>
2: oh, I'm going to use that, that's yeah, great. use it. That's all fantastic. Right. Yeah.
0: Jeans doesn't really work, all right? So not, you don't say <laughs> nice schmutter to a pair
1: of jeans, all right? You might just go, hmm, schmutter. <laughs> yes. So after, obviously, nursery school, primary school. Yeah, two primary schools. School, two primary schools. Two primary schools. Okay. Pin wood, big plug. Mm. Pin wood, are you there? Do you are know you, a big yeah.
0: hole appeared in their playground a couple of months ago, oh, a really? few months ago? No, really, you yeah. know what it was? Unbelievable, okay, a great big hole dropped in the playground, chalk, chalk mines underneath wow. the school, Victorian, and even all going back to Neolithic times. Wow. Oh Next goodness. school, West Lodge, Brand, I was a founder pupil at West Lodge, they built a lovely new school, I went to that. Secondary school, first one, Harrow Weald County Grammar School, okay, so that was when my dad uh, used to teach, had taught before me and my brother went there. And then Watford Boys Grammar so that okay. was I went to f- in the end uh, by the time I got to 18 I'd been inside five education so been, yes, yeah.
2: all in Metro Land.
0: exactly <laughs> all in we've got a chorus yeah. all in Metro man. I do with the radio voice yes that's right well you know radio four it comes through
1: but. so the writing mm. was yes. that something you were interested in from a young age or did that did that start to come out later
0: uh, my parents um both were both teachers absolutely loved literature I think they if I was being ruthless with them they kind of substituted Judaism for literature so though they weren't religious and their families weren't particularly religious but they were surrounded with the religion you know they came from Jewish East End which was where they lived you you lived in a street that was almost like 95 percent Jewish area Mm -hmm. Um, and I think they they left that 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 religious side and I think they sort of substituted it with world literature that they saw themselves as part of the world world culture they were absolutely you know voracious readers and this was passed on to me we used to go to the theater they were great storytellers Uh, my dad in particular loved turning everyday life into a story you know, the time we had to get rid of some old piano that my brother had asked for, and my dad turned it into like a one-hour saga. I mean, <laughs> he could have been a stand-up comedian, my that dad. Long. He was. And, he, and also, he, we loved the the kind of pre-stand-ups that you saw on the telly, like Peter Ustinov and the Americans, Mort Sahl, uh, Shelley Berman, people like mm. this. So these kind of fed in. And my brother became one a bit like that. My brother, very interesting, four years older than me, he must have thought that I didn't have enough parents so, ah, oh, okay. A, I'll yeah. be one. one more. Two's not <laughs> enough. And so he took it on to parent me, which uh, at one level was absolutely wonderful because he would read to me, he would act out all sorts of things. He would act out the—you may not have heard of these—the Molesworth books, you know, which are sort of about this um, kind of disruptive pupil in a in a private school sort of thing. Very sort of, almost a, almost a satire on um, on England at the time mm-hmm. in the post-war period, um, but also he would be very funny and he'd also try and teach me what he had learnt at school which was a oh, bit of a problem okay. because he's four years older than me and he was so clever they bunged him up a year. Yeah, okay. So aged eleven, he's teaching me calculus. <laughs> no, that's great, Brian. That's really terrific. So he'd sit there in the room going, Okay, Mick, say after me, D two Y D two Y by D two X and I'd go, D two Y by D I'd no idea. Imagine two cars and one of them is accelerating faster than another one. So how do you calculate the difference between the two accelerations? And I'd go, I don't know, Brian, and then he'd
2: bloody explain it to me
0: which is the last thing I want to you know, like, I just want
2: to type bum out on a on a exactly. metal. Yeah, or tries, go yeah. back and do the funny takeoffs of our dad, you yeah, know, because yeah. you'd sit
0: there going, Never let me see you doing that. Again, you yeah, pretending yeah. to be my dad. So or he was doing a a Molesworth. Mimic he was oh, a, yeah. tremendous. Yeah. So this was like another education. Yeah. So I'm getting three educations, really. I'm getting school. I'm getting my parents, who, like, a bit difficult to describe, but my dad, when we'd listen to the radio, my dad was in constant dialogue with it. Okay. So you imagine you've got a news item coming yeah. in, he'd be sitting there going, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. i oh, yeah. oh, bound to be bloody doing that. So you had this kind of critical commentary that as well, yeah. going on on the radio. You had. You also thought that, you know, because from migrant communities, right, there's always a nervousness that somehow or other you're going to fail. So mm. my dad would say, you know, the moment you weren't doing your homework, you'd go, well, you, mm, yeah, we well, don't want to end up on the Michalsons. Who were the Michalsons? Did we know who the Michelsons were? <laughs> have we ever met the Michelsons? We had no idea who they were. These were back in the myth, the pre-war myth of before the before the war, when you know there were people who were so poor they didn't have shoes and socks, and there were bed bugs in their beds. The Michelsons had bedbugs in their beds. Do you want to fin- do you want to end up like the Michelsons? <laughs> who were they? Who were the Michelsons? We never seen them. So it would be this like you know threat, this danger that we'd end up like the Michelsons. So we had education from the old man. Oh look, here's an interesting church. We used to go camping. Mm. Okay, so you have to go to a local church have a look see this was built in good lord in 1121 look at that The font good lord what an interesting font so you know Jewish communist Harold Rosen going this is a really interesting font so I did know, love a good font it fair. was it was a very good font and miles away from Metroland. Metroland exactly so that was all terribly interesting the reason why we went camping by the way I figured it out was because Karl Marx must have said go camping somewhere oh, okay. in Das Kapital on the shelves of course Mm. it must have said go camping camping's good for you because that's what we did and we always went with other communists you see so I figured this out it was communist and it must have said go where it's raining
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, my camping, book Welsh says border,
0: <laughs> Welsh border, North York Moors. Yeah. Fact, yeah. I bet you somewhere in Das Kapital in a footnote, <laughs> it says, "All right, you yeah, must Well, yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you must go camping where it's raining. It must be somewhere yeah. in there because that's what we did. It was like a sort of communist Narnia. <laughs> yeah, because there were all these kids, you see. So we'd like go through the wardrobe, sort of go through kind of Lenin's mausoleum, imaginary, to get to these camping places in the rain. Yeah, so there was that education. It was the education from my bro, you see, doing all this funny stuff. And, and he, he also, he decorated the bedroom. He collected beer mats because we, we lived over oh, a shop. Okay. And if you live over a shop, you've got a little enclave out the back of the shops where there's this sort of secret life that you can lead with the other kids who live over mm, shops and mm. the flats. Yeah. And one of the shops was the Victoria Wine Company. So they used to lob out all their old wine bottles and all the rest of it. My brother used to steam them off and steam the labels oh, off and collect okay. the beer mats and cover the wall with all these stuff. So you know, he became an expert on Chardonnay and Cabernet, <laughs> so, Cabernet Sauvignon, Sauvignon. Uh, good Lord, how yeah, did you yeah, pronounce yeah. that wrong? I feel so ashamed. Oh, we'll edit that out. As well. Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> appalling. Um, so yeah, so that was that was what was going on.
2: Yeah. And was he was he a big influence on you then? Your Massive, brother? sounds Massive like
0: influence. it. Massive um, influence. Very funny. Very very clever. And um, I mean, and, and again, a bit like my dad, very encyclopedic. You know, he, he loved singing. Yeah. okay so one minute we were singing sort of pop stuff the next minute we got into the blues so we'd be singing the blues but then he was in a choir so the next minute he's singing the Messiah <laughs> so he's walking round the around the, around the house going every valley <laughs> shall be exalted and there was another one about um, about lamb straying you know I forgot very weird that my mum thought was very funny about how you, know, you mustn't stray I don't know why my mum thought that was funny but <laughs> my mum I should say she'd wander around the house you know just being mum and then suddenly in the middle of it all she'd go tread softly because you tread on my dreams (laughs) and then she'd carry on which is a line from wb yates you know and you go what did what did what did mum just say what what did she just say (laughs) she was very clever and funny my mum you know during you may not you won't know this but in 1960 there was a typhoid outbreak in South America okay big worry because all our canned meat came from South America okay yeah yeah Big signs, big big announcements on the radio. Don't eat the corned beef. Don't eat fray bentos. Everybody knew. Yeah. Don't eat it. My mum, she goes to the cupboard, opens the cupboard, stacked high with corned beef cans. She takes one out and she goes, ooh, better not open that till the typhoid outbreak's over. And Brilliant. Now, was she being funny? I don't know. And you look at her and she's going... She's just looking out the side of her eyes yeah, like yeah, out the yeah. side of her face like that and you go, did she know that? Was she? Did she, did she know? And you go, are you trying to be funny, Mum? I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and you never knew. But you never
2: must knew. have had like no choice to be a writer then when you've got so many characters like this around you growing up, so many influences.
0: Um, yeah, but the only thing is I thought I was going to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Right, because I made this terrible mistake. It's just, this is the mistake of my life, believe you me. Okay. I said to my mum and dad, okay, I've just... Getting towards the end of my O levels, GCSEs, right, and I'm saying, I quite like doing biology. What a thing to have said <laughs> to a Jewish communist parents, because you see, I think they had a league table in their head. Yeah. Okay. At fourth, teachers. Okay. Okay. Teachers are good. That's fine. Okay. Because you're spreading your knowledge. You've learnt your knowledge. You've used what you, you know the Jewish community's given you, and now you're a teacher and you're spreading it. You know the knowledge that you've learned. That's good. Okay. At third. Jewish doctor. Sorry, at third, a doctor. Mm -hmm. Okay, at third is a doctor because, again, you're using your knowledge and the thing about a doctor is you can take it anywhere. You can mend a leg anywhere. You know, you go to Egypt, mend a leg. Go to South America, mend a leg. That's good. That's universal knowledge. Okay, number two, Jewish doctor. (laughs) Even more important because there you see you're rising above the fact you're just mending Jewish legs. You're going anybody's (laughs) leg, right? So that's good. Number one, Jewish communist doctor. <laughs> ah, now that was the okay, thing. Okay. That's so when I said, when I said, oh yeah, I quite like doing biology. Do you know what went? Yes. Inside, Jewish communist doctor, <laughs> the leading saint. Okay, <laughs> the leading saint figure. Okay, fantastic. So they went, well, we could take you to see old Jewish communist doctor friend from the East End, nickname Chick. Okay. And off we go to see him next minute. I'm on a on like a like a switchback. I'm taken into a whole routine where I'm going through I'm going to do arts A levels then I'm going to go to Middlesex Hospital Medical School and then I'm going to do what's the equivalent of science A levels and then I'm going to do what's called second MB I'm doing anatomy, physiology, biochemistry and the rest of it. And I didn't want to do it any of it. So I had to do and I'm not going to go through it all a number of like incredible like knot tying and untying of knots to get out of it but what ended i ended up doing two years of effectively doing medicine before i could get out of it all and get back onto what i really like doing which was reading books and talking about them, mm. and even writing some occasionally so that's what i really but it took that's quite a lot of pain two years oh, i mean as it happens i actually loved dissection i mean first of all we dissected rats and then we moved on to dissecting human beings wow and um that i loved it i absolutely loved dissection i mean i i'm able to do it i get a little buzz when i carve the chicken <laughs> we have we have chicken quite often at home and i start going yeah, just lift the lift the terror major here you know and that sort of thing and um Yeah, so I can just, that's the last surviving bit of um, the medical course is is carving the chicken.
2: So where would a Poet have been in this Premier League table of jobs?
0: Ah, now that's an interesting one. At one level...
1: Relegation. Bottom three? (laughs) at one
0: level it's in Valhalla, it's in heaven, it's way above, (laughs) above for my parents. (laughs) Champions League. But, But that is so long as it isn't your own children. Oh, yeah, right. Okay ah, see, this yeah. is There's the contradiction the This is the hypocrisy So <laughs> poets, you know, are like kind of gods in the house, yeah. right? So, you know, you'd say somebody like, you know, Ted Hughes, Sylvia Plath, if you want modern ones, or, you know, old ones, it doesn't matter, you know, John Donne, oh, busy old fool, unruly son, you know, oh, is there anything greater? And Shakespeare was like, you know, even above that, you know, I mean, he was like beyond use you know, (laughs) Shakespeare, the old man could quote like great streams of Shakespeare, wander around the house going, I know you all and will a while uphold your unyoked (laughs) humour, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Herein do I imitate the sun who doth allow the. Ba- You're right. <laughs> yeah, oh, all right. <laughs> we're, living, we're living in <laughs> Metroland. Metro- Land. We don't need that sort of stuff. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, no, so we'd schlep off to the old Vic quite regularly. So, um, yeah, so in amongst the kind of swearing in Yiddish, there'd be sort of Shakespeare, you know, when my dad would sit there at the tea table and suddenly go, Chadachim <laughs> Loch. My mum would say, Don't say that. And we'd say, What did he say? And mum would say, Don't tell them. <laughs> I had to wait for my mum to die to find out what these expressions oh, really? were. The oh, band okay. was so fierce wow. from my mum. And then, oh, you know, even then, 30 years after my... I mean, it wasn't immediately after she died. You yeah. know, she didn't just die. And then I go, yeah, yeah. Oh, what did... <laughs> <husband> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, yeah. no, no, At yeah. the funeral. no, yeah, no I did wait 30 years. And, <laughs> you know, and I said, do you know that one you used to say, you know? I have to say, I had to... I'd never called my dad, Dad. We weren't allowed. That was, oh, OK. Well, that's bourgeois. Yeah. So I had to call him Harold. OK, so first yeah, name... Really? Comrade, oh. Comrades in family. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Harold. Yeah, that's it. Quite funny, really. Um, my mates used to come over. Can you imagine? They would just die of laughter. I'd go, Harold, you know, can, I, can I have some more milk on my cereal? You know, and just like, hey! It's
2: very it's very communist, isn't it? It Everyone, is. on the same level.
0: Yeah, that's it. So anyway, uh, I should say they left the Communist Party in 1957. Big deal. But anyway, we won't go into that for the moment. Um, yeah, so that was the trauma was the medicine. I got out of the medicine. Yeah. Partly because I was already writing poems, yeah. you know, and I thought, you know, I don't. I, I thought I was going to be a crap doctor. That was my main thing, and it worried me that I'd be a bad doctor. I mean, I wouldn't mind being a bad poet, but you know, being a bad doctor, <laughs> yeah, 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 and it's you, you wouldn't even be is. on the league table, and <laughs> yeah, you'd yeah. be letting down all yeah. the other Jewish communist <laughs> Jewish <laughs> doctors. Doctors, the whole thing would be a big letdown. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I thought, no, no. So anyway, luckily, I was going out with the daughter of my dad's boss. What a move. Yeah. <laughs> because I was fech- fetching, as you say in Yiddish, I was fetching that's complaining, moaning, mm. about doing medicine to her. Yeah. She then told him he was a, a kind of ex-RAF kind of war hero, had been in the Siege of Crete, who my parents absolutely adored, look, looked up to as a kind of a perfect example of English liberal thought. You know, there was something very sort of statesmanlike about him. He was very, very sort of stiff and straight, the way he stood there. And he always smoked on his pipe. <laughs> and uh, he called me into his study. And he said, um, Michael, um, Johnny. My dad had a nickname. They all called him Johnny Rosen because there was a band leader, a Jewish band leader who looked like my dad. So this <laughs> little group of people never knew him as Harold. So anyway, he said, <laughs> yeah. the pipe. Johnny tells, me, Johnny tells me that Johnny tells me that you're going to you're doing medicine, but um, he said the, the girl's name said um, she tells me you don't you don't you don't want to do it, so I then told him I told him the whole thing gave him the the Megillah, as you'd say in Yiddish that means the whole thing yeah, yeah and yeah. I gave it to him so uh, he went off and had a little chat with my dad so after two years of him saying there's no way you could get out of this no way you've got to do this he just flipped overnight <laughs> and he put his arm around me and said I'm really sorry. Wow Change course That's what you want to do And so uh, it was But that was thanks to the intervention Yeah You yeah. see it was good wasn't it It was a good move that Yeah it was right. a good move that but, was but, good. yeah I'm describing it more cynical really <laughs> than, than it was but yes Well and then
2: the rest is history
0: Well yes Indeed Yeah it is It's history <laughs> Yeah because I, yeah, I was born in the Stone Age That's yeah. right yeah. yeah
1: So from So University You'd done you would, And then you You started working at the BBC I did, that's right. I went in as what's called a general trainee,
0: which sounds like you're the bloke who sweeps the foyer. Uh, But in fact, it was an incredible training in radio, telly, uh, film and production uh, over two and a half to nearly three years. Yeah. So
1: was that something we... Obviously, joining the BBC, were you wanting to work on programmes, write program? What, what was it that you were hoping to achieve? From I think I them? wanted to work, broadly speaking, in kind of
0: educational telly or radio, um, or both. Uh, so there was, there used to be, a very, very active schools radio, uh, schools TV, and then there was uh, the Open University had yeah, Of started. course, yeah, yeah.
1: Um,
0: there was also a, a, an outfit that was further education, it was called, or continuing education. And I wanted to work in any or all of these, so that sort of was my kind of objective. Uh, but it wasn't to be because um, a certain secret service organisation, known as MI5, decided that it wasn't appropriate that I worked at the BBC. And yes. They they did this in a secret way. Um, right. The a subtext, a subplot to this is that mm. at the time I was beginning to suffer from hypothyroid ism which basically means my thyroid was conking out and so was i mm-hmm. okay so a little bit of my medical knowledge every cell in your body needs a bit of thyroxine from your yes. thyroid yeah, yeah if it isn't you turn into a blob okay? yeah
1: my As, wife is under she's got an underactive me too. thyroid so me yeah. too.
0: underactive you see yeah. so it was being eaten I didn't know this, but, of course, it was making me underactive. Mm. I have what's called Hashimoto's disease. It's nothing to do with the Emperor of mm. Japan. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. so, no, he was Hirohito, wasn't he? Never mind. So thing. were you
1: feeling very fatigued? Yeah, like that. all yeah. that. Yeah,
0: so yeah. I got summoned, right, by uh, HST. Everything used to be initials in those yeah. days. Head of Staff Training. It's all a bit Maoist, isn't it? Yeah. HST, Little Red Book. Anyway, so HST asked me in. He was a very tall ex-admiralty guy. Um, so, you know, in those days, people went across from the Admiralty into the Beeb to, to help run the Beebs, so very kind of civil service and military mm-hmm. and so on. And he said, it's been great having you on board, but we think it would be better if you went freelance. <laughs> and I thought, wow, what a promotion.
1: <laughs> They're saying. They want me to go freelance. They up. want me to go <laughs> freelance.
0: And I thought, well, we've, we've got an ex-gratia payment for you. And I thought, wow, they're even paying me to go. <laughs> yeah. This is brilliant. And it took me the length of time it takes to get from Broadcasting House to Oxford Circus, which is about 200 yards, to realise that actually booted me out. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I just thought I'd been booted out for being, and I didn't know at the time, that I couldn't get up in the morning because yeah, I realised I was slowing down. But I didn't know what it was. So that was another sort of thing that was worrying me at the time, you see. And then about 10 years later, I got a knock on the door. And this uh, guy from The Observer, the Sunday Observer newspaper, was on the door. And he he said, can I come in? Yeah. And he said, do you have any idea why you were sacked? And I said, yeah, I do. I think it's because by then it had been diagnosed, you see. Mm. I said, yeah, I think pretty sure it was my hypothyroidism, you know, that I didn't realise at the time. He said, no, it's nothing to do with that. He said, there was um, MI5 was in the BBC in room 104. um, And... uh, they decided that um, you shouldn't have a full-time job at the BBC, along with uh, uh, five five other people, uh, one, one or two of them who I who I knew, and one or two are quite famous today. Um, and I said, no, 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 I don't go for this conspiracy stuff. Mm. You know, I said, please, you know, don't bother me with that. And he went, no, 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 uh, we have all the evidence, and we found that there were files that had Christmas trees on them what, you're kidding, this is all like, no, 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 this is, this is wartime stuff, yeah, this yeah. is yeah. Len Dayton, you know, this is, you know, Le Carre sort of thing. And he said, no, 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 and he carried on with the story and he said that they had this system of having files and keeping an eye on people and then finding the first possible time when either their contract wouldn't be renewed or they'd be just eased out and all the rest of it. And I said, oh, well, fair enough, it's all news to me sort of thing. And uh, sure enough, it came out as a national story, um, I think, the following Sunday. You know, you'd written it all up. A journalist called Paul Lashmar. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was uh, an extraordinary story. And I've often sort of reflected on the one bit that really sort of bugs me is the fact that I went to a whole series of face-to-face kind of um what do you call them, sort of meetings where you have with management sort of thing. But yeah. they weren't with management, they were with my officer, the person mm, who was mm, looking yeah. after me. And the thing was was that the way you did this traineeship, it, it was you had placements in different departments and you'd do three months stint with one, then go to another, then go to another. And I'd loved working on the kids programme Play School. Then I'd worked in Schools TV where I'd help write a series called Sam on Boff's Island first appearance on telly of tony robinson and miriam margulies together ah. okay uh very proud of that one yeah. and working with oliver postgate on the oh wow ed, yeah, so, yeah. you know it's a, very yeah, proud yeah. of that bit of work and uh and then these placements dried up and i'd say to him well why why there's people i know over in arts features or these people over in further ed they want me to work with it work with mm-hmm. them why, why is it dried up and he'd say oh yeah bit difficult. It's not as simple as that, Mike. And this would go on. This went on for nearly nine months. I was wor- uh, sitting at home on full pay while this guy was telling me that there weren't Shouldn't, the placements. Yeah. There were. And I just think, well, mm. I mean, without getting paranoid about it, if you ever want to know how fascism works, it has to work because there are people in organizations who do what they're told, mm. who lie through their teeth, right? Mm. And just say to you, oh, well, that's the way it is. You know, yeah. in in German, you have a little minor official, and the name for it is Beamter. And it's the Beamter mindset, right? It's the, it's the outlook that says, I've just got to do as I'm told. Because, you know, and I just think he sat there, barefaced lying, mm. over several months, yeah. right? Not just once, but several months, simply, I would say, in order, because he didn't want to lose his job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I'm sitting at home wondering what's going on. I mean, it wasn't that difficult in a sense. You're on full pay anyway. Right. But even so, the lying, and I just think, I can understand the organization, you know, behaving that way because of MI5 and all the rest of it. But you just think, down it goes MI5, BBC, mm-hmm. and then this bloke sitting there lying to me saying that. And then, of course,
1: off I went. So, yeah. Have you talked to other people that, experienced it there around that same time. Yes, yeah. I mean
0: the, the the person who's most famous uh, that people might know is Isabel Hilton, mm. journalist and um, commentator, uh, mostly on China and so on. Um, and she, you know, regular writer in in newspapers and so on. I mean, she she even presents programs on uh, radio and so on. Um, but she was she was shoved out the same mm. time as me, uh, alongside various other people not quite so well known as her um, but there was a, there was a group of us there were there was I think as I remember it from the observer article and it's mm. all online you can see it all there were six of us oh, okay. identified but there were others as well I am the identity thief. I make a fortune by pretending to be people like you and I'd like to keep it that way. That's why I don't want you to sign up to Witch.
2: Witch Scam Alerts, our free service that keeps you up to date with the latest scams. No wonder scammers don't want you to sign up. Visit witchcouk slash scam alerts.
1: Helen is over the moon about her new connected exercise bike she's got in the spare room. But instead of warming up, she's staring at the lack of Wi-Fi bars. Why, Helen? Why invest in the new you if your Wi-Fi isn't up for it? Never fear. Only BT Complete Wi-Fi gives you reliable Wi-Fi in every room or a £100 money-back guarantee. Search BT Broadband. BT Beyond Limits.
2: Up to three discs to guarantee 10 Mbps in every room or £100 off your next bill. Terms apply. Verify bt.com slash verify Wi-Fi and it was it, the story when the story came out it was linked to it was because of your parents communist well activities. I think
0: it was either that or because I was um, I was a revolting student 1968 so I was part of the sort of 68 stuff but that wasn't secret anyway no it wasn't as if no. it was secret because when I started applying for the job my tutor called me in I was at Wadham College in Oxford and I was my tutor called me in and he said there's a bloke from the BBC here I said is there he said yeah he's going around asking questions all right what's he asking questions about? Oh, they want to know what you've been doing and the rest of it. So they'd actually sent someone to check up on my background and what I was involved in and yeah. the fact that I was, a you know, a student revolutionary as they used to call us and I was involved in all the activities around um, running of universities and support for, uh, you know, in opposition to the Vietnam War and so on. And uh, so they checked me out anyway and they'd asked me in my final board meeting, you know, what, what are your politics? And I said, I'm an unlearned Marxist is what I said and I remember it was Carl Miller who was the editor of The Listener saying unlearned or unearned he had one of those very polite Scots accents and, I, and they all laughed and I just said yes um, unlearned Yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, and then I remember going for yet one more interview uh, with a bloke called Lance Thurkle uh, married to a quite famous novelist Angela Thurkle and I remember him standing with his back to me interviewing me very curious, standing up with it, next to a, um, a filing cabinet. This yes, <laughs> is the way people did things. And he had those um, garters on his um, oh, sleeves. Oh, really? On, on his, his sleeves, but not on his of legs. He sort of like, you could hitch yeah. your sleeves up with a garter. <laughs> so he had yeah. garters, and he's standing with his back to it. I him. think it's like a very 80s thing, wasn't oh, it? it? Oh, I think it's very 20s, early. I think, actually. Well, yeah. Anyway, and he's well, pulling, he open, he's pulling <laughs> open and closing the filing cabinet. And he's, he's talking, snapping little watch like this. He's going, very good, good to see you, good to see you. Okay, so I think we're going to go nap. And I remember thinking, what does this mean? Yeah. He's going to go nap. And I didn't say to him, I, I just sat there because I thought, you know, maybe you're not supposed to ask, what does go nap mean? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I went home and I remember saying to my dad, I said, uh, there was this bloke and he was called Thurkle and he said he's going to go nap. And the old man said, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you got the job. <laughs> and I said, well, what do, you, what do you make of that bloke who turned up at um, the BBC? Spook. So mm, the old man yeah. was very good at decoding yeah, yeah. for yeah, me. Yeah, you know, yeah, he had yeah. lots of little phrases. You know, He'd say, never believe a rumour until it's been officially denied. <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, of yeah. Um, yeah, or he, yeah. had, uh, he used to say, whenever the sort of Brits tried to move the goalpost, you'd would say, oh yeah, Britannia waives the rules.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, he had lots of good little <laughs> that, phrases yeah. like that. It was, so yeah. was very good. He could decode. R- the other thing about... Um uh, political stuff you might do influencing jobs my mum was terrified once. when I was younger I think I gave money to Greenpeace or something, like <gasps> that, and she was Bloody terrified hell, that oh, I was going to never saying. get a job again or, oh, I, don't or, I, or, I, or I was going to I can't remember I was very young I was like 18 17 or something oh, wow. and, I, and, and slope. she was terrified that I was in, then never going to get a job yeah. anywhere well, and I, I mean, I'm kind of unemployed now so well so. <laughs> my mum actually got freelance. <laughs> well exactly well I can tell you it's even worse in
0: my case because there was a big bus strike when I was about 13 and all the buses, you know, you couldn't get to school because my school was about three miles from home. So I had to be taken to school by car and everyone was all grumbling about it in the suburbs, you know, these workers, you know, they get so much money anyway. You know, blah, 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 blah. My mum, she says, you've got to take money for the strike fund. I said, what, well, I can't do that? She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, what you do, look. She said, how do you know there's a strike fund? Of course there is. There'll be a bucket outside the Wheel bus garage. I said, how do you know? <laughs> of course there is. There always is. So she made me in my school uniform, right, my grammar school uniform. And remember, it was very sort of town and gown with, in yeah, those days. Yeah, you yeah. know, if you wore the grammar school uniform, you would thought everyone thought you were a toff. you see. And so I remember going along to Harrow Wheel bus garage, where the bus stop, I would have got the bus from, and going up to the bloke sitting outside, it must have been a little picket line or something, and I said, Um is there a bucket here? And I got uh put some money in the bloke looking at me in my grammar school uniform and he went, Yeah, here's the bucket. And so <laughs> I put some money in it. So um I don't know what your mum would have made of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, it could have been even, tricky, yeah. I wouldn't even tell her about it. No, that. she wouldn't have let you home, yeah. <laughs> she wouldn't right. have done yeah. Whereas, it was my mum, you know, <laughs> subversive mum suggesting put money in the strike bucket.
1: <laughs> so I guess However going freelance was an opportunity to do an opportunity for you to do your own thing. Yes you know, indeed. to, 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 to sort of stop striking a, your own path.
0: That's right, which was several things, writing. Uh I did actually go to the National Film School. Um uh, which was just out, which I, went, I was a second year in I think or third year in to the National Film School and I went there for 3 years. Uh, largely at the uh, encouragement of Nick Broomfield you know Nick Broomfield yeah he yeah, was yeah, a first year student man, yeah. and oh, he wow, was wow. very kind and said you know you'd like this if they've chucked you out the Beeb sort of thing so uh, I think he put in a good word with the uh, the principal director there uh, Colin Young um, so I did do three years at National Film School um, making little films um, joining in with other films and so on and um, but just towards the end, um, uh, was uh, having a baby, so mm. um, I thought filmmaking and having babies don't really work very well together. <laughs> so I concentrated on the writing, and so I started working in London schools as a writer in residence. Uh, they don't give you a residence; you don't do any writing. But anyway, it's, it's yeah. nice, you know. They yeah, call yeah, you yeah. a writer in exactly. residence, <laughs> and I did a lot of that. And I was, and that was really what got really got me going. I mean, I had been writing poems; I had done. Little poems on the radio and things like that. Um, but And the first book of poems came out in 1974, uh, just as I was leaving the BBC, in fact. That was Mind Your Own Business, Yes, isn't yes it? that's right. Yeah, yeah, book of poems, yeah. yeah. I had done a play before that. I'd done a play while I was at university that had gone on at Royal Court, actually. Oh, wow. So um, that was sort of a, a kind of premature success. But uh, yes, it was lovely. Uh, they put on a play that I'd written for a couple of weeks at the Royal Court Theatre. Yeah, it was good.
2: And th- this podcast, Michael, obviously is called Blank, and it's yes. about blank moments. Um, and in a way that you leaving the BBC is kind of maybe your first big blank moment in a way. Mm. And that's, But that moment has led you to, to, to have this wonderful career and this huge influence on, on generations of children as well. So you, that blank moment for you maybe always defined you.
0: Well, color. you don't always know it, and you don't think it at the time, but the setbacks can be opportunities. Yeah. I mean, I say to my son when we're playing footy, it's just a laugh thing because he likes it. I come out with these sort of trite football manager stuff. Right? <laughs> but when, if I kick the ball to him or throw the ball to him, he's a very good footballer. And if, let's say, he kind of either catches it or he just sort of doesn't go after it, I go, every ball's an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? So it's this nutty thing. And, but there is a sort of logic to it that if you watch footballers you know, in games, If there's a bad ball that's passed to them, they don't go, oh, God, it's a bad ball. I'm not going to bother with that. Mm. They bust their ass to try and get to the ball, don't they? Yeah. Some of them. Well, uh, <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, yeah. And, and I should speak, I support Arsenal. And, you know, yeah. well, we, what, will what, we support Crystal Palace. Yeah, so, yeah, a lot so of what balls. have we seen for the last 10 years? <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. You know, and they've got poor old Zaha there who feels that he's... Anyway, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, no, I sympathise with him. Um, so anyway, so I say to him, every ball's an opportunity. And, I, and it does make sense in a funny sort of way. And what I mean is, is that there's no such thing as a setback. You have to think you have to be positive and think that any setback isn't a setback mm. so it's a kind of way in which you kid yourself yeah. you you coax yourself you you give yourself a kick i don't think i knew it at the time with the bbc thing mm. because i think i was i was both down physically not knowing the reason yeah okay this is the 70s and i was deep into the thyroid underactive yes, thyroid yeah, yeah. so i was sort of down and then there's this sort of thing about leaving the Beeb and, and so on. and But looking back on it, I don't know what it was. Maybe it's the resource that my parents gave me or my brother that when something happens, you have to just try something else. Hmm. So it's sort of like the motorway's blocked, so I'll take another road. Yeah. So, oh, damn, the M5, is blocked, so I'll have to go round somewhere over here. The A, this, and whatever. Hmm. So somewhere in the back of my mind, I thought that. So instead of going into a slump... I thought we'll do this so I'll scribble some stuff and see whether somebody wants that. So it's that way of thinking without me knowing the reason or the if you like a, a means to describe what I've just described to you mm. is what I did then so yes that's how I got out of that blank.
2: But that is that is hard when you're certainly when you're a creative person talking, I think we take Um, bad things happening internally Mm. it takes me weeks sometimes to get over rejection or something like that it's difficult well you know what they say the psychologists who look into creativity
0: that in fact you know everybody is creative everybody does stuff you know if you got a little window box and you decide well what plant am I going to put in the window box is it going to be a, a tulip or is it going to be a peony or something you are in your own way being creative right so everybody is creative obviously some people do more stuff and concentrate on doing more stuff where they are making these decisions for themselves and weighing up am i going to do this am i going to do that and there is an outcome which you might say is creativity trial and error without fear of failure Right? So if you decide you're going to do a tulip or a peony, no one's going to come and kill you. No one's going to yeah. tell you off. Michael Gove's not going to come in and say, well, actually, that's the wrong tulip. Okay, <laughs> well, he might. He'd, love to. He'd <laughs> love to, but he isn't there, so you can actually do your window box. So it's trial and error without fear of failure, which I think is crucial. Yeah. So we all do it, but some people obviously do more of it. Okay. Now, the thing that enables you to do more of it, you might describe as ego strength. In other words, you have to have this other thing that isn't to do with trial and error without fear of failure. It's a thing that says, go on, Mm. go on, go on, find another way if necessary. In other words, you don't let the bit of you that, in a sense, is kind of in charge of you, that is kind of the sort of whatever model you want to use, the boss, the motor, the the help, you know, let's not have a kind of patriarchal view of it. It's the big helping hand you've got that is inside you. That has got to somehow or other not be damaged. You have to look after that bit of you, this, I'm going to call it again, the ego strength, very Mm. Freudian idea, but anyway, it's your ego strength, the thing that says to you, you know, you're okay, you know, you can do this, Yeah. all right? You've got to nurture that as much as trial and error without fear of failure okay so you have to do both tragically we see people who become great stars right who have every creative thing through every fibre more than that unbelievable talent but there's a bit of their ego strength that ain't there I mean yeah. I don't know whether we can say but if you take somebody mm. like Robin Williams the, the the actor yeah yeah well clearly some part of him you know or the wonderful Hoffman and Philip Hoffman
1: yeah Philip Hoffman yeah yeah
0: these are people with like like 5,000 times more talent than many of us. You know, they could just do a voice, an appearance. You know, you mm. could cry one minute with them and weep with laughter at the next. Mm. And they could just do it. They were magicians, yeah. right? But the ego strength only lasted them so long. Mm. And, you know, some people might say, well, no matter. They lit up our lives for 40 years, 50 years, whatever it might be. And you go, yes, that is true that is absolutely true and you know it is it's wonderful um, but at the same time I always sort of feel a bit of a sorrow that yeah. yeah. somehow or other you know Philip Seymour Hoffman he could have given us another 30, 40, 50 yeah. years more yeah, stuff yeah. You, know, Robin, you know Robin Williams you could see he's, he was a very tricky spiky guy and all the rest of it but you know can you imagine you know in his 60s and 70s you mm. know with the kind of characters he could have been like a Walter Matau or yes. a yeah, uh, yeah. George Burns type sort of a- actor or whatever you know and um, you know, it's not to blame them in any way. It sounds, I'm more sounding like I'm blaming them. It's very wrong to say that. But all I'd say to people who are listening to this is, I know it's hard, but you know, you have to secure yourself. Yeah. There's part of you that has to secure yourself, even as you're taking the risks. So it's a contradiction because when you're being taking risks, you're not being very secure. And when you're being secure, you're not taking risks. So there is a contradiction there. I'm not going to pretend there isn't, you know. But somehow or another, you have to try and do that. Yeah.
2: And you have to take those risks, really. Or else you never progress and you never learn.
0: Absolutely. And sometimes you don't know when you're taking risks. When I wrote that first book of poems, I just thought I was writing poems a little bit in the style of American free verse poets, people like Carl Sandburg, very well known in the States, not so well known here, and... um, uh, what's his name, Ohara, Frank O'Hara, Kenneth Patchen, I thought I was writing kids' poems in that style. I didn't realise that this would really get up the nose of some people here who feel that, who felt and still do that children's poetry has got to be something a bit sort of sacred and perhaps a bit sort of pastoral and has to deal with profound and deep things uh, that you can only write about in a certain kind of sacralised way. And I have come at it from this anecdotal, spieling, perhaps slightly Jewish way of uh, sort of telling anecdotes in a kind of ironic, self-blamey sort of way and written in this American relaxed way. And the irony emerges without the heavy metaphorical, without the heavy sort of, heavy is the wrong word, Mm. without the sort of metaphor, using a lot of metaphors. I mean, dense metaphorical, not Mm. heavy. So a dense metaphorical way. Uh, I mean the kind of style of poetry I like myself, but mm-hmm. I, it wasn't necessarily writing. So sometimes you're kind of offending without even knowing you are, which <laughs> yeah, is yeah. which is what happened to me and still does. I mean, you know, there are people who sort of say, "Well, you don't really write poetry, do you, Mike?" Or, "Well, you are an entertainer, aren't you?" Um, or, "You do use the demotic a lot, don't you?" Yeah. You see all these. Mm-hmm. I've got to, I, you know, collect them. All the sort of little put downs that somehow or other, you're sort of. Op- I'm operating in some sort of folky kind of non-serious way as if you can't say serious things through everyday language or whatever you know when I watch stand-up I think these stand-up comedians often say some of the most profound things that can be said whether you go back to Billy Connolly whether you, you know, with the present guys that I watch on Apollo or who I've seen and so on, these people are saying profound things about how we live. You know, Romesh, people like that. Mm. Yeah. they're You know, in amongst the knockabout and the bawdy and all the rest mm. of it, they're dropping in. Bill Bailey, you know, this is a guy who said stuff about our existence and the way we are. It's just wonderful. But, you know, because it gets hidden away and it's not in sort of philosophical language, it gets demoted. And you think, what oh, is this weird thing? I remember Clive James saying, you yeah, know, there is no bloody middle brow. <laughs> sod yeah, off yeah, yeah. there is no low brow middle yeah. brow just go away you know yeah. um, and I often think about that you know that in music and song and poetry and stand up and all the rest of it we have these means an anecdote and short story and novel and so on we have the means to talk about profound things in ordinary language yes
1: do you feel of an affiliation with stand up in a way because of the work because the fact that you obviously a lot of your poetry you perform very energetically and you know you do you is that something that you is that would that be fair to say that there's you, you, the performance is as much about absolutely else? yeah no
0: i mean i've studied performance in my own kind of informal way um you know it, it sounds poncy to say it perhaps but you know i've studied my brecht i've studied my stand-up i've studied these people you know how do you i studied dario foe i went to go and see him you know commedia dell'arte and things like that because i'm interested in the way in which you can stand in front of people and obviously largely it's a young audience mm. but not entirely and i stand in front of an audience and at one moment it looks like i'm talking so this is conjuring right so or illusion So I stand and I say hi, and I'm Michael, and the rest of it, and I, I deliberately keep my voice quite low. And then what I do is I drift in. To stuff that is, if you think about it, the end point, it is crazily exaggerated. It is hyperbole times 25, times 25 million. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about, you know, how we had a teacher who didn't let you breathe when you were at school, who stood out the front going, no breathing, <laughs> right? Or I was born in the Stone Age and all we ate was stones. Yeah, you know? yeah. I go, "Mom, it really hurts my teeth. Shush, eat your gravel, yeah. right? Now, but I've started from a place where, you know, I write books and I, just, I was brought up with my mum and dad. see? And I've just drifted into it. Now, all this is carefully studied. And I've gone from this sort of naturalism, realism, mm. into what is, you know, what French call grand guignol. You know, it's it's burlesque. It's, it's like mm. kind of madly exaggerated. It's as if I've put on a mask. And of course, my face works. I can do masks with my face, you see. So when the teacher's doing no breathing and we all sit there not breathing, <laughs> <laughs> up <laughs> yeah. comes the mask, you see. So... Of course, it's completely unreal. So I'm playing with that. So it's is a and it's deliberate because it's a kind of unease that mm. you create in your audience because it's ironic. So the little kids will go, "Could you really not breathe?" <laughs> then you hear the yeah. conversation between the kids going, yeah. "No, no, it's a joke. Yeah. No, it wasn't. He said he can't breathe." Yeah. Yeah. So you create a dissonance for them, and suddenly it becomes an issue of debate and interpretation. So what looks like knockabout is, in actual fact dealing with something like that now I've done that quite consciously as a form of a style of acting that is that is all worked out that you know in part comes from uh, Brecht who says you know that when you perform never let the audience not know you are an actor performing <laughs> because that's what he wanted to create alienation technique he called it Verfremdungs effect in German so that's what he called it and I use that all the time. So, yes, I am fascinated by performance. I think there's a wonderful way in which you can think of poems as scripts. Okay, all poetry, all poetry, whether it's a Shakespeare sonnet, mm. uh, it doesn't matter what. If you think of them as scripts which are available to you, it doesn't mean you have to do it this way. All right, of course, read poems on your own quietly just to yourself, to say them on your own quietly to yourself, but they're available to us as scripts. And that means that they're available to be performed by anyone by the author by the poet or by anyone else to be split into different voices put rhythms over it do anything you want with it mime to it do that bob dylan technique of pulling out words you know whichever you want you do anything with them and i just wish people could see the world of poetry as if they were just like you take plays off the shelf and you go oh look we could read this little bit together and you could do exactly the same with poems and they're available to us and when you do that you unpack meaning Because you have to figure out how to do it. So instead of this whole vast apparatus of analytic language, you have the language of how do you make it work as a script. And you will engage with the meaning. You will engage with the meaning if you do that. Um, So I think that thing of the poem as script as voice is a huge area that we can build on.
1: And is that part of the writing process like the when you when you're thinking about what you're writing are you are you playing it out as well yes
0: mostly i'm you know i think most poets are thinking about sound i won't say all cuz there's always a, an mm. exception but most poets are thinking about sound posh word being prosody they're thinking about the musicality So that might be rhythm, it might be alliteration, it might be assonance, it might be rhyme, it might just be a pulse, it might be a pause where you pause, it might be repetition, repetition is very important, any of those. Most poets will be thinking about that, or if they're not thinking about it, it's so embedded in them that they've got so many forms in their head that they they're sort of working to patterns and cross patterns and counterpoints yeah, yeah. and so they're doing it without thinking they're doing it but mm. it's in your head anyway it's called the intertextual repertoire it's in your head all this stuff and you're doing it and um in my case it's because i think one at some point somewhere i'll be doing this out loud yeah at yeah. some point yeah. whether it's yeah. going to be in a school whether it's going to be at a political meeting, because I do political meetings where I read poems, or whether it's just going to be going to, it's going to be maybe for a teachers' group, uh, whether it's going to be in a workshop, um, so somewhere I may be reading this out loud. Yeah,
2: and, and obviously during that process, and we're interested in those blank moments that, that creative people have or that all people have. How do you deal with them when they crop up? Well, it's annoying. That's the first <laughs> thing. Yeah, it's really annoying. It's not working. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And, you know, like anything that doesn't work, you know, you get annoyed, you know, your car doesn't work. Printer, actually, is always the thing that doesn't work, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah, computer printer. Yeah, I never get printers to But do you believe,
1: some writers don't believe in writer's block, but do you... uh, Block and
0: blank is slightly different, if I might say
1: so. Block is, I'm not writing anything.
0: Yeah. The blank, I think, is when you're in the middle of writing and it's not working. If if I could draw a distinction. Mm. You can. So... The blank is when you get to a bit, it might be after three words, but whatever it is, you, you hit a kind of blank because you can't finish it. And it may be because you you can't finish the thought, you can't complete it. It might be mm. because you can't finish the plot. It might be because you've got a character in a story uh, who's going nowhere and he's not contributing. It um, could be any of those. Uh, or indeed, the full one, which is the block, I am in the middle of today, and I'm not writing anything I wish I was, and mm. I get up in the morning, and I'm still not writing anything, and I get up the next day, and I'm still not writing. So that's the kind of blank times 10, which gives you the yeah, block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, and, you know, obviously, there are many ways round these different things. I mean, I would always say with the blank in the writing, you give it a push, but don't push it so hard mm. that you, you, you get so annoyed that you hate the thing you're writing. Yeah. So you've got to give it a push, give it a go, and then if it doesn't, put it to one side. It'll sit there in your mind when you're on the tube, when you're in the car, whatever, and you may suddenly find a a blip comes up, Mm -hmm. beep, and it's the thing to do with the thing you couldn't do before. But you must be both patient and listening out for it because it's not a coincidence. The thread that was there that's got cut off It's waiting for you. It's sitting in your head. Hmm. So as you're driving down the motorway and you see something and you see this sign or something and you think, oh, and you make a connection to something from your childhood, ba and it links up. You listen out for it and you have to snatch it while it's there. You've got to scribble it in your notebook or whatever you do. But you've got to make a note of it. So that's one thing. The other thing that I do is not only do you, as it were, listen out for it, but you start something else. And I'm very, very fortunate in that I have about 10 different modes of writing in my life. So I'm writing children's stories, I'm writing poems for children, poems for adults, I'm twittering, I'm on Facebook, I'm writing radio scripts, <coughs> I'm writing adult books about somebody like Emil Zola, I wrote a book about Emil Zola. Uh, I'm teaching, so I have to te- think about, the language of criticism for my ma students at goldsmiths so that's a completely different mode of thinking now the advantage of that for me is that you know as i think it's the bible says you know i've got many rooms in my mansion in my father's mansion i've got many rooms so if that room isn't working I'm just going to another, another room.
1: room.
2: yeah
0: and then i'll maybe go back to that room and it feels fresh yeah. So I'm quite lucky in that respect. But I'd again recommend that to anybody. I'd say, look, write something else completely different in another mode. It might be a a leaflet, you know, to, I don't know, help with tell people about the food bank or, you know, a parent teachers association leaflet or something that gets you into another mode of writing altogether. Mm. Because, you know, people often say this, you know, writing is writing is writing. If you're not writing, you are not writing. Yeah. And when you are writing, you're doing something. Yeah. And so you're pushing words, you're, you're playing yeah. with this thing, whatever the odd process is of transforming our thoughts into these sort of scribbles on the page. You know, it's a very peculiar way of thinking, because remember, writing is linear, but thought isn't. So you can only put one word after another yeah. unless you do concrete poetry but we'll leave that to one side but anyway but by and large so it's a very ordering way of doing things and you know our thoughts don't like it our thoughts want to be kind of all over the place thinking in color and music and word all at the same time mm. and you can't do that with writing it's like like a funnel that funnels all experience down into one word at a time mm. and this is difficult nobody's, nobody's going to pretend it's easy but no you have to keep writing and try lots of modes yeah try lots of different ways and force yourself to you know if as i say write leaflets write a story for your kids you know just think outside the box literally write an article for the local newspaper yeah. about why the trees should be saved you know in your street so you get into other ways of thinking it will feed back that's that's what i mean is that in actual fact though they're separate boxes They will bleed into each other Mm. because most stories, most poems, if that's what we're talking about, are what is called, here's a bit of jargon for you, heteroglossic. In other words, they have lots of voices within them. So whereas when you write a little thing about save the trees in the neighborhood, it tends to be like, a bit monochrome is just one kind of writing you know we the undersigned believe that sort of thing when you write novels when you write stories when you write poems when you do stand-up any of it you have to use lots of voices otherwise it doesn't work that's the fun of it so that one minute you're being pompous the next minute you're being earthy you know one minute you're being a professor or whatever and the next minute you're being a kid in the street or something not stories and stand-up they all have to do that you know, one of the reasons why we laugh at these stand-ups is because they can conjure up voices from nowhere and suddenly you're there with, I don't know, David Cameron or something, and then the next minute you're with this person's mum.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, you know. You think how many times we've laughed at comedians doing their mum. I mean, yeah. it's mad, isn't it? But you have seen a man being his mum on the stage <laughs> and you're weeping with laughter because <laughs> it's your mum. And yeah, then the yeah, next yeah. minute they're doing, I don't know, some job they were in and the boss is telling them off. Yeah. And it's heteroglossic. They're bringing all these bits in together and uh, if you experiment with lots of different kinds of writing it helps with your heteroglossia believe you me and of course that's the sort of thing
2: we didn't know when
0: we lived in
2: Metroland well that's I mean the end of the pod normally we ask our uh, guests for their advice on being blamed but well, you've just given us some fantastic advice there and we've ended on Metroland so I think that's that's probably a good point to end the pod honestly seen, I think we had to yeah. end
1: it on Metroland really wouldn't we, we yeah, yeah
0: we, <laughs> we love Metroland in fact I'm going back to Metroland very soon there's a song there
1: yeah, it is. going back to, to, to Metro now. Sort of Chris Ria, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> going back. Uh, yeah, but you've got to, to sing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Chris no, 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 yeah. no. Ria's got a slight no. Dylan y, yeah. Well, he has. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. Yeah. I think, his <laughs> voice, I think yeah. he
0: lost his voice somewhere around about yeah, the age yeah, of 20. Yeah. <laughs> so I get going back to Pinner. Uh, Going back to Metro, line. Maybe a bit bluesy Yeah, you think, it feels yeah, bluesy Well, I get out of the morning, yeah. and then there'll be, Going back to Metro.
1: Well, you've got to stop there, Michael, because there'll be a guitar solo that comes in Well, hopefully Chris Fear is listening Chris, if you're there Yeah,
0: I'm sure you are Look, you can have that one Pinner, you may need North Harrow in there somewhere
2: Northwood, maybe Northwood, yeah. Northwood, Northwood Hills. You can come out to Watford or Amersham. Yeah, Chesham. Well uh,
0: no, <laughs> sorry, it's too near yours. No, 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 no
2: sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm in there. Yeah, Michael um, Rosen, thank you very much for joining us on the. Morning. Oh, thanks for having me.
1: Oh, that was Michael Rosen, yeah. Jim, that was great.
2: That was amazing. Yeah, I, as I said earlier, we could have been there for hours talking. Yeah, to him I like, just love all the tales from
1: Metro Land, which we all got into saying at the same time, but just fascinating, um, sort of boyhood stories. Yeah,
2: things. I want to look at Baker Street Station. in I'm, I'm gonna have to find out that room where there was the, the cinema, cinema was. Yeah, I'm gonna have quite, to find yeah. that. Um, yeah, just, oh, I mean, I, I sort of live in Metroland, you know, so that I, I'm going to obviously refer to it now as Metroland forever. Yeah,
1: yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, just absolutely fascinating. And I knew it would be, I knew it would be fascinating with Michael because he's, um, as he said, he was born in the Stone Age. But, um, <laughs> you know, he's just such a great, vibrant yeah. um, person and he's yeah. just got so much, you know, he just, it's the sort of person you want as a dinner party guest.
2: Oh, 100%. I mean. If you could pick your dream dinner party, yeah. he'd, be he'd be there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and I loved the bit about when he was talking about sort of the ego, you know, and, and sort of managing yeah. this ego to help ego in those self, bl- yeah, ego yeah, self yeah. in yeah. these in these blank moments. Uh was really fascinating. Actually. Yeah, yeah,
1: and relating that towards you know, like um, possibly artists that have struggled, yeah, um, with mental health issues, and yeah. stuff and, and how that how that relates. And it's, that not really it's not just
2: talent. It's not just talent. It is talent and hard work, but also managing yeah, that, you need their that ego, self, that, com- yeah. that confidence. Yeah. yeah. So that was really fascinating. So thank you so much to Michael for being on yeah, the pod. Was that great. was a genuinely really really fascinating uh, interview. Um, if you enjoyed it, please let us know. You can contact us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at blank pod. There we go. Uh, that's for all three Seamless. of us absolutely seamless yeah. um, and if you want to email us and let us know your thoughts on the pod so far we really hope you're enjoying them um on future pods who do you want to hear on the pod and your own blank moments let us know how you deal with them or if any of the pods so far have been helpful for you in your blank moments you can email us hello at the blank podcast.com i just took that off you Giles. It's so no, i was just so into it, so it. no yeah no, you keep going. <laughs> i'm sorry it
1: makes my life much easier uh don't forget to just rate sit it here look at you yeah. <laughs> oh
2: you Charmer. Watch um, the watch pro. At work. I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, don't forget to rate us as well. Please give us a rating on iTunes and, and please subscribe. Please subscribe. Hit that subscribe button so yeah. that the blank pod is in your podcast folder every Wednesday, and we will be back next Wednesday with another special guest as well. So keep an eye out for that. That's it, Jaws. Oh, was the pod, at the end? The sorry, we had more
1: to say. <laughs> Please come again next week. That's it. Yeah.
2: Thank you very much. Goodbye.
0: This is a Blast Box Media Podcast.